going to read a little bit this morning from the Bhagavad Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai, the 11th canto is the afterthought, so to speak, the, the forehead of the Bhagavatam, uh, intelligence of the Bhagavatam, reflecting back on so much that has been said and has been described, and particularly upon the smiling face of Krishna that constitutes the 10th canto. And in doing so, what might be considered the most important verse of the entire Srimad Bhagavatam makes its appearance, and it was identified as such by Sri Jiva Goswami, based on the explanation of that verse given by Sri Sanatana Goswami Prabhu. Verse that, of course, describes what's uh, important for us. And um, I want to read the verse that, that prefaces it, and then perhaps discuss some that, several of them that follow it as well. This is verse, of course, that uh, describes the descent of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the, and the, the practice that is, uh, he has recommended for the Yuga, Kali Yuga. So it comes in a section in which these Yuga cycles are being discussed, an interesting topic in and of itself. As you may know, in Hindu thought, then time is cyclical rather than rectilinear. And we may tend to think that the cyclical conception of time in ancient Hindu thought and Vedanta and so forth, and which Gaudiya Vaishnavism also uh, carries on, is, uh, is primitive and backward and and uh, it's obvious that things are moving progressively forward all the time, like in a line from infinite time to infinite forever, like, like that. So it's, it would be worth uh, for those who, to whose mind such thoughts come to consider briefly how illogical is the idea of rectilinear time in brief, and why, in a simple way, the sages, Vedantas, the sages, the rishis, the experiencers, conceived of time in a, in a cyclical, uh, the moving and moving circularly. They thought, in one sense, like Hegel, that that objective reality must be rational. Not that the that the entire reality is is beyond the objective. And it's more, for that matter, subjective, but there is some objectivity to reality, and, and they thought it must be, must be logical, must be reasonable. The way, in other words, in which the world works must have some reason and rhyme to it as well. And so, like those, some who came after him in Western thought, like Aristotle, for example, they conceived of, they liked circular things because they were lended more to um, reason and purpose. In other words, if you see a circle, there's a sense that someone has drawn that. It's, gone, it's a line that's gone in, in, an, in an orderly way as opposed to just a line which brings up a sense of randomness. Anyone can just align like this, it's random. But if it's tied together, then it promotes a sense of, of, of meaning and purpose and order. And I thought that there was rather an order to things rather than that things were going on at their origin, at their source, was something random. They didn't think that time they had different conceptions of time also, different types of time. Maybe three different types of time are explained in, in Bhagavatam. But the most basic concept of time, the thought of is uh, 
a circular not simply because in a primitive way they experienced the seasons were circular and other things about the natural world were were circular but they in their own experience they they found that they were they were permanent they they saw themselves in a small way as the axle around which the wheel of time moved they saw themselves as permanent and time was like the hand of of god and it caused both um how you say both in in that cycle of time there was both progress and and degradation both so it wasn't limited as in a linear conception of time everything has to be constantly progressing this is the idea they felt that to be illogical and it wasn't their experience that everything was always progressing all the time but a circular conception allowed for things to progress and things to digress mm-hmm. this was something about their their thinking so based on their experience they posited this circular idea yuga cycles of time it's not to say that we can prove one with science or the other but it's reasonable to to point out that it's kind of irrational to think that we are now at the apex of all progress of all time from infinite you know <laughs> regress uh, it doesn't seem quite like that and so they they found that idea to they didn't they didn't go with that they found that neither neither is it an infinite you know we are, are we infinitely bad or did, have we infinitely digressed so there it wasn't just a it wasn't just a kind of an uneducated superstitious guess at things admit they didn't have the scientific instruments of today the technology of today and so forth to study the world order in the way in which we do through the microscope through the telescope and and uh, through the ultrasound scope and the scope and that scope but they they were involved in something else that that our modern scientific uh, thinkers and what not are, are not involved in which they theorized uh, afforded them a kind of insight uh, wisdom that was not available by going without a basic vedantist message is something like this go within or go without <laughs> <laughs> go within or go without if you don't go within you really end up with just the empty bag that's all you don't get anything you go without that was their idea in the modern societies go without there's no, there is nothing within you know more or less go without as far as kali yuga goes which is said to be the time in which we live the basic idea of kali yuga is that the society of humans will be governed by the values of humans largely will predominantly will be governed by wealth by economy this was their idea and they thought that was a degradation of society where if you had money you know you were important you had value and this is rather uh, it's that's is our experience today that at least this is a confirmation of the bhagavatam's basic idea and the inherent wealth of people for what they are and it's not that people don't talk about that and agree with the bhagavatam that wealth is uh, value exceeds you know, one's pocketbook there's many nice people and that's the point they're nicer people who think like that and seek to um to bring an end in their own way as much as they far as they can think about it to the kind of exploitation of of of, of people and things and the natural world that uh, goes on for the sake of uh, of money and and they think about the divergence between wealth and uh, and, and and poverty and, and many nice people well, we can bond with them hmm? we don't have to be unto ourselves in all respects an insular simply because we have sense shraddha in the descent of chaitanya mahaprabhu and in our idea of a comprehensive solution to exploitation which 
begins with the with the uh, the killing of our own ego that many people may not be ready to embrace or cannot identify with entirely, although they are, in a general sense, leaning in the direction of moving away from exploitation. They are, as I said, evolved people in a different way in which uh, Darwinian evolution would posit people were evolved. I mentioned it yesterday. The more complex a cell is, the more, according to Darwin, the more power it has to dominate over others and thus survive. Thus the most evolved creature is the most brutish creature. This is kind of at the, at the core of it. But in human society we have the sense that the most evolved creature is the kindest creature. And the people that have influenced the world of humans more than any others are those kind kind of people. The saints, the Jesuses, the, the, the Buddhas the Chaitanya Mahaprabhus, and so forth. They, like, their books span, just, they're, they're still around. They're, they're not going anywhere. So, a word on yugas and time and Kali Yuga, in this section of Bhagavatam from which we're going to speak, is, the context is that there's a discussion about the yugas. So, this uh, Maharaj Nimi was asking Karabhajana Muni about the descent the different Navayogendras about the descent of the Lord and his different avatars. And in this chapter, the discussion is with Karabhajana Muni. And, and he wants to know really ostensibly about the Yuga avatars, the type of avatar. This is the richness, in one sense, of the Bhagavatam, that it speaks about the descent of God, but in such an elaborate way. I mean to say, the avatara means from up, crossing, down. So the reach of divinity from up, if we want... You know, when they, our need to think about things up, down, back and forth, and so forth with our rational mind, from from up to down, and somehow, anyway, coming into our our life, something from outside of our frame of reference, our frame of reference being our senses and rational mind, something from outside of that influencing us. Is there anything outside of that to influence us? Well, if not, we've got a pretty big mind <laughs> in the world of nature and so forth that common sense uh, dictates is out of our control is then just, you know, doesn't exist unless you think about it. But some people do think like that, but we have a slightly different opinion. So there's something beyond uh, our uh, frame of reference, and we call it divine. And it comes into our our life, and this is called avutara in Sanskrit. And in the Bhagavatam, then so many—it's uh, a rich text in, with regard to divinity, because so many types of this descent of the divine: the yuga avatar, the manvantara avatar, the the lila avatar, the um, guna avatar. This type of descent, that type of. So it's a very rich theological uh, work. Even amongst the Hindu texts, it is the richest. And what to speak then in comparison to other texts in the world, there's a fair amount of objectivity with which we can bear down on this and reach a conclusion that this is a very rich, theologically speaking, text. The information about God found in here is enormous, enormous and nuanced to uh, an extent that is, uh, that is mind-boggling. That's almost, you know, even the devotees are bothered by it. You've got to think, uh, you got to know what all these different types of avatars and the Swayam Bhagavan, Swayam Prakash, and uh, this, uh, uh, I can't even remember them all. So many terms. Goswamis have brought out to bring out the nuanced nature of the existence of, of the divine and regard to our topic in relation to its appearance within the world of our frame of reference, which is for the purpose, of course, of taking us beyond our frame of reference. Now, wouldn't it be nice to go beyond the limits of our senses and mind and be all that we sense we can be that our mind and senses get in the way of allowing us to be? I've often said this, that human life is, is unique in that in human life we feel that we could do all the things that we see other species of life doing. All that we see 
that can be done that goes on, we have a sense that we could do all of that, that we could fly high in the sky like the birds do, although we're standing grounded on, on two feet. Humans look up and they think, hmm, I could, maybe I could. And they do, and they then build an airplane and, and they make a semblance of that and they fly and then they want to go to the bottom of the ocean and, and so forth. So everything that, that's possible, human sense, it's possible for me. This doesn't dawn on, our cows don't think of flying. <laughs> we have a, a neighbor, uh, well, a resident uh, uh, raven who comes and sits on the fence, sometimes sits on the back of Boomi. Raven? Yeah, not a crow, but a raven. There's two types here. So the raven, they have that wobble, 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 wobble. they gobble like that. I don't know if you've heard it, but yeah. anyway, they interact, but that they don't. The, the raven doesn't think if I could only give milk, then I'd be more popular here at Audaria. <laughs> <laughs> and the cows would think if I could fly, I wouldn't have to walk through the mud here when it rains. And no, they don't think like this. But what humans think like this. And so we go about trying to be and everything that we could that that could be and do everything that could be done. Why is it? Because consciousness in the human body is less covered by matter. It's less covered by the material limitations than it is in the lower species of life. It's starting to come out. Therefore it can think, I am, I exist. And then philosophy is born and, and so forth. There's a great moment in existence, human life. And so, unfortunately, of course, we, we try to be, uh, the Vedas say the same thing. Oh, it means it's a big affirmation. You can be everything you feel you could be. You're a god, actually, of sorts. The Upanishads teach us that if anything in the world most resembles God, what is it? He says, it's you. You resemble God. So in, a, in a kind of a brief way, they say, you are God. If you want to know what God is, look at yourself. You are God. Because you are consciousness. And in an evolved state of consciousness, in a sense, presiding over other forms of life in which consciousness is not allowed to come out and express itself as much. Of course, then it doesn't stop there. It goes on. It gives us a point to touch base with. If anything is resembles God, it's you. And what are you? Your consciousness, not matter. You're the experiencer. If anything in our experience should stand out, it's this. That we experience. Hmm. That makes us different from that which is experienced only matter. Oh, there's good reason to think that consciousness is different from matter. I was speaking with Brendan Runyon's father some time back, and he's a, he's a, I guess he got his doctorate in psychology, actually. And he hasn't burst up on it in a while, but we were chatting, and, uh, and he said, well, why distinguish matter from consciousness? Why does, you know, why see one as different from the other? I see them as just, you know, one is one state of matter, another is another state of matter. I say, well, they're completely different <laughs> to start with. <laughs> one experiences, the other is experienced, and I went on like this. And, and so, so there's a good reason to think there's a difference. There's no reason, really, to think, no good reason to think that biology comes out of chemistry. This reductionist idea that people gravitate towards based on a superficial understanding even of science is not science, that's metaphysics. That's their own metaphysics. In other words, that consciousness can be reduced to biology, biology can be reduced, reduced to chemistry, chemistry can be reduced to, to physics. There's no basis for this in science. That's a metaphysical position that people take based on their particular take on science. Hmm? Conviction. Yeah. It's faith, is what you want to say. It's a faith. <laughs> right. Oh, and that's a whole, it's a, it can be assailed pretty well, actually, from a logical point of view. And they, they like to think themselves so logical and reasonable as they posit such ideas. So, so at any rate, 
consciousness, the Vedantins, they experienced, is different from matter. And in human life, which is a thin veil of matter, so to speak, it's coming out like it doesn't in any other species. And so it senses that it, what it is, and there it's for it senses that it could exist in sky, in, in, in water, in, it can't be burnt by fire, it cannot be withered by the wind, it cannot be uh, drowned by water, as the Gita says. They sense this. And things like the Gita, which is a manifest, a form of the divine descent, and other scriptures, and sadhus, and avatars, they all come to address this. They come to answer that, the why question of human society in a comprehensive way, because it is, they are descending. In other words, they come to give, afford us perfect knowledge. As I've many times said, if we want perfect knowledge, and we do, we all want perfect knowledge because all action is informed by knowledge and we want to be perfectly happy, so we want to act in such a way that we'll be perfectly happy, therefore we want perfect knowledge. The fact that we're not perfectly happy indicates that we don't have perfect knowledge. That means we're in imperfection and prone to imperfection. So if we want perfection, we want perfect knowledge, so when we act in such a way that we can be perfectly happy, then we have to have a perfect method to arrive at that perfect knowledge. And this is the method. You fold your hands like this. In other words, we are imperfect and perfection is worshipable by us then, is, is, is to be regarded by us. It's not a dead thing. It's alive, as much or more than, than we are. So to venerate that, to show regard for that, the simple act of folding the hand, the simple thing that the primitive humans arrive at, that, oh, as I said yesterday, work alone doesn't provide food. We need the system, the nature, to cooperate, and it's beyond our control to get it to cooperate entirely, as Hurricane Katrina has spoken. <laughs> it's, it, we, try as we may, and we may try in such a way that we only aggravate the situation more in the name of making it better and so forth. So, these Vedantins, they had this, not a primitive uh, idea, but a very well thought out idea that for perfect knowledge requires prayer. Prayer is the perfect, perfect method. It's that going within. It's the way life works illogically, that the more I feel inadequate and in need, the more, the more whole I will become. That by going within, I won't go without. Modern world is to go without in search and possess and collect and amass things and uh, reach out to the stars and explore Mars and, and reach out to get. But they said, the Vedantins, go within or go without, buddy. You'll just get the empty bag, that's all. You miss yourself in the whole picture, what you are. So, the Rishi, or the king, yeah, he, he was talking to these uh, kind of Rishis, Vedantins, who wanted to know all about the different descents of the Lord. And it comes to this, the Kali Yuga, the Yuga avatars, this kind of descent for the yuga that, that sets that time cycle, that sets in place that descent, the, the means most uh, suitable for that cycle for becoming perfectly happy. So this is the context. And as he describes Karabhajana, the different yugas, Satya, Tritya, Dwarupa, he comes to the Kali Yuga. He says, Iti Dwapara Urvisha Stubanti Jogarishwaram Nana Tantra Vidhanena Karuvapi Tatashrinu. He says, Okay. In this way, as I've described, people in Kali in Dwarpa Yuga glorified the Lord of the universe. So he had given the Dwarpa Yuga Dharma and described the Yuga Avatar of Dwarpa Yuga, the previous cycle and so forth. Then he says, in Kali Yuga, actually he says, now, listen up. He says, Tatsinu. He says, he doesn't say this in his description of any of the other Yuga Avatars. He says, now, listen up, listen closely, pay attention. 
Tatsunu, big words, too small word, but big meaning here. What does it mean? Tatsunu, listen up. You better listen carefully about the Kali Yuga, because if you don't, you miss him altogether. Why? Because as we'll hear, he's coming in a disguised way. He's not easy to easy to trace out exactly. So you listen carefully now. I'm going to talk about the Kali Yuga. This requires that you pay attention. And it's really kind of speaking to us, too. Of course, this was spoken in, at the dawn of the Kali Yuga. And it also means people in Kali Yuga, they don't have a good detention span. So, so listen up. Hey, wake up. I'm going to talk about the Kali Yuga, the time in which you live right now. You're up. It's you. Kali Yuga people, we're talking about you now. Okay, listen up and pay close attention or you're going to miss it. What this is, is a golden opportunity that we're going to talk about. And it only lasts for a short time. The Kali Yuga lasts for quite a while, and this is for a short time. This opportunity is coming and it's gone. And you should try to take advantage of it. So he says, Tatsunu, listen up, he says. In Kali Yuga, he says another thing. Nana Tantra Vidhanena. He said... I'm going to tell you about the Yuga Avatar of the Kali Yuga, if you listen carefully, and how people worship him in accordance with Nana Tantra Vidhan, in accordance with the Tantra. So this is a little different than what's been described before. He draws our attention to the Tantric literatures. This is very much informs Gaudiya Vaishnavism. All this, in the Tantra we find all these of course, there are different types of tantra, but this is the this is the uh, I say like the the right wing tantra, not the left wing tantra, hmm? and it it gives all these uh, all, so um, um, how to worship the deity, how to uh, the position of shakti is articulated very nicely, and how shakti takes precedence and so forth, and and this is in the, in that in that that. Tantra also, the Sattvata Tantras and Pancharatra, this is indicated in this verse. And then we find, we find that the Goswamis, Hari Bhakti Vilas and Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and so forth, and in the commentaries of the Goswamis, they're drawing heavily from this body of literature. It's, the Vedic literature is kind of like masculine and the Tantra is, is feminine. They bring it together under this kind of androgynous, is he Krishna? Is he Radha? conception of divinity. He's both. They, they bring them together. Achintya beda beda tattva. They bring the two differences together in one and then they separate them again. <coughs> These verses like Radha Krishna Pranay Vikutiri Deni Shakti Rasmade Katmanovapi Bhubi Puram Deho Vedam Gatoto Chaitanyakyam Prakatam Madhunatta Dvayam Chaikyam Aptam Radha Bhava Duti Suvalitam Nomi Krishna Surupam Goswami's verse doing all this. Krishna's one, he becomes two eternally. The two become one as Chaitanya. And, uh, so, anyway, they're taking these two together. They're, they're, bring, they're, they're making the union between this uh, feminine side of the text and the masculine side in a unique way, in a way that made other Sampradayas wonder what's going on here? Are you Shaktas or are you Bhaktas? You call yourself Vaishnavas, but you're Worshipping Krishna along with uh, Radha, and in, indeed, you've got Radha. Krishna even may take Radha's remnants in your in your group. This is all a new idea, revolutionary idea. So here, Bhagavatam is speaking about it in a way that knowers can understand and explain to us. So, having said this, then the verse, which is, as I said in the beginning, most ostensibly the most important verse of of Bhagavatam. Is, is cited. Jiva Goswami cited this verse where? This verse, let me recite it for you. Krishna Varnam Tisakrishnam. Say it if you know it. Krishna Varnam Tisakrishnam Sangopangastra Parshadam Yagnai Sankitana Prayer Yajantihi Sumedasaha. This verse of Bhagavatam, it says, In the Kali Yuga, intelligent persons perform Sankirtan, chanting the names of God. In so doing, they worship the descent of Godhead, who himself constantly sings the name of Krishna. 
who is also named Krishna, who also goes by the same syllables, Krishna, and who is of the category of Krishna, not only Vishnu, Tattva, but Krishna Tattva, Krishna Varnam, it all means all these things, and who always utters the sounds, Krishna, Krishna Varnayati, Krishna Varnam. They worship him, who, although Krishna, although black, is appearing golden, fair, fair-complected. It says, although black, he's gore. Although Krishna, he's not Krishna. It is saying, who is accompanied by his uh, servants, weapons, and confidential companions, or whose anga, these means uh, limbs, angas, Bhagavatam, Lord Brahma says, Narayanangam, he says, he's speaking to Krishna, glorifying Krishna in Brahma Vimohan Lila. He says, oh, this uh, you are the anga, Narayan is the anga of you, the limb of you. So the word anga means limb, but it also means, in a theological sense, that like avatars, incarnations are called limbs, expansions, like the tree and then the limbs of the tree. So the verse says, Sango Pangastra. He's with his angas and upangas, which means he's with us, so many, with the, with the Dvaita, Nityananda Prabhu, and Shivas, and, and Garadhar. And he, he comes with them. But it also literally means with his angas, with his limbs, it says. Sangopanga Astra, who comes along with his weapons. Astra means weapons, which are his limbs. You know, in the description of the previous Yuga avatars, and they're, they're weapons, they're weapons that they carry to deal with the, symbolically to deal with the miscreants and so forth, they're all described. So he comes, what are his weapons? His arms, his, ang- his angas, his limbs. It means that he lifts his arms in Krishna Sankirtan and dances before the card of Lord Jagannath and everyone is subdued by his beauty. His weapon is his beauty. And it's further manifested as a Dvaita and Nityanandavu and so on. So this is, this is the verse. And it's an important verse, as I say. How can I say that it, that it is arguably the most important verse of Srimad Bhagavatam? I mean, there are so many verses of Srimad Bhagavatam, and we've also argued in the past that Krishna's two Bhagavan Srayam is the most important, important verse. But antitat tatvavidas tatvam yadgyanam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabbate. This is the most important verse. The Sandharvas of Yuvagasami expanded from this, these two verses. Bhagavat Sandarva, Tattva Sandarva, Bhagavat Sandarva, Paramatma Sandarva, Krishna Sandarva. Well, there's different ways, of course, to argue what is the most important verse, but one way to argue in favor of this. There are a number of them, but one thing is that this is the verse that Jiva Goswami, who is the philosopher in one sense of our Sampradaya, has given at the onset of his whole treatise, Satsandarva. And he offers his respect to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in this verse. He cites this verse, and then he gives a second verse by which he fixes the meaning of this, of this verse. What is the meaning of this verse? How to understand this kind of complicated verse, which he drew, of course, from his elder, Sanatana Goswami, the first person to explain this verse in such a way that when you hear it, you think, how could there be any other explanation? Wow, yeah. It just makes perfect sense. Nobody saw it previous to him. No one. Not Sri Daswami, the famous commentator that Mahabrabhu had such regard for. Not uh, Ramanuja, Madhva, not in Mbarka Sampradaya, who does have high regard for Srimad Bhagavatam, Balab Sampradaya also, Vishnu Swami, high regard for Srimad Bhagavatam in his Vedanta Sutra commentary, always quoting Bhagavatam. They didn't understand this verse in this way. These are big scholars. But when you hear Sanatan Prabhu's explanation, you think, oh, yeah, how, how could anybody think otherwise? So it's written in such a way, Vyasamuni wrote it in such a way, that it would be a little difficult to understand until the person who personifies the verse makes his appearance in the world. And then, as a result of his doing so, the service to explain about him 
and how the text refers to them and so forth is left to his devotees. So Sanatana Goswami, the greatest scholar of Bhagavatam, even while he was working in the, in the Muslim government, he used to stay, all his spare time, he would spend studying Bhagavatam. And how did he do it? He surrounded himself with so many pundits, learned scholars, and analyzed the Bhagavatam. He would be the center piece of the, of the, of the discussion. Spending his time like this, analyzing the significance of the Bhagavatam, and coming out with the Bhajan of Toshani, his commentary. Coming out with the Brihat Bhagavatamri to the first and seminal book of the Gaudiya Sampradaya, which is really a commentary on Sumat Bhagavatam. Then all the Gaudiya commentaries, they all follow that. This is Jiva Goswami's commentary, and the commentary later of Vishwanath Chakuti Thakur, the commentary of our Guru Maharaj, the Bhaktivedanta purports, and so forth. And all these commentaries follow this seminal commentary of Sanatana Goswami. And if you go to Vrindavan, and you go to a Bhagavat Kata, Bhagavat Sapta, a gathering where they're discussing Bhagavatam, it doesn't matter what Sampradaya it is. They'll be quoting from Sanatana Goswami. And then Vishwanath Chakuti Thakur, who's follows his lead and so forth. Jiva Goswami, the Gaudiya commentaries. These Gaudiya people, they know Srimad Bhagavatam. That we can say. As much as anybody can know Srimad Bhagavatam. They know Srimad Bhagavatam. So Jiva Goswami has taken this verse and put it in the front of his treatise on Srimad Bhagavatam. That's another commentary on Bhagavatam, Satsandarbha. That's all these people do is talk about Srimad Bhagavatam. They've given the name Srimad Bhagavatam as opposed to Bhagavad Purana. Srimad Bhagavatam, they want to bring out their point that this is the Bhagavat as seen through the eyes of Sri, through the eyes of Radha. Bhagavat means God. It's as seen through the eyes of Radha. What we will glimpse here, what we will find from this, uh, what exciting thing. So Jiva Goswami has taken this verse and put it at the very front of his Satsandarva. And it is the Vastunadesh Shloka, of his treatise. Vastunidesh Shloka means the shloka, the verse, that in a nutshell says what his book is about. So if the Satsandarbha is about this verse and Satsandarbha is about Srimad Bhagavatam and what the meaning of Srimad Bhagavatam is, then we can make a good argument. This is the most important verse of Srimad Bhagavatam. It is the verse that tells us, that points to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that unveils the secret of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent and the means to realize and experience what he was about. Krishna Varnam Tisakrishnam Sangopangastra Parshadam Yagnaisan Kirtana Prayer Yajantihi Sumedasa. It said Yajantihi Sumedasa. This kind of yagya of Nam Kirtan, this will be the preoccupation of people who are very intelligent. Sumedasa. And what is that intelligence? Because we may think, well, the Bhagavatam says the su made su means like very intelligent. Medasa means the most intelligent people. They will worship this descent of divinity who is described like this, performing Sankirtan, who is Krishna but not Krishna, who is black but not black, who is fair complected it means, and, and so on. They will worship him by this chanting of Krishna Nam. So we may think, well, why do, you know, there are a lot of intelligent people out there. This verse says it, the most intelligent people will do, but there are people more intelligent than me that aren't doing it. So we may have a doubt. Once Prabhupada was asked that, why don't the most intelligent people, why aren't they most intelligent people worshipping Krishna? What did he say? They are. Shiva and Brahma is there. Narada. They are worshipping what do you mean? He had a different, you know, context from which he was, he was speaking. These were just names in a book for the questioner, but the reality for Prabhupada. Brahma Bole Chaturmukhe. He's doing it with four mouths, Nard said. Oh, goodness. I'm happy, Nard said. Radhika Ramananami. <laughs> I'm going everywhere playing on this veena and singing. Radhika Ramananami. Chanting Hare Krishna. And what do I see? That Chetumukh Brahma, he's chanting with four mouths. And Panchamukh, Shiva, Brahma Bole Chetumukhe, Hare Krishna, what is it? Hare Hare. Hare, Hare. Mm -hmm. And uh, Panchamukh, uh, Mahadev. Mahadev, 
Ram Ram Hari Hari, something like that. Nice idea. And Shiva's got it. Sometimes he's depicted with five heads, and he's standing with five mouths. Nara is very happy, very nice. What is the nature of that chanting? What did Rupa say about it? Tundavani, you know this verse? Tundavani, what is it? Hmm. He said, anyway, I have a problem. Big problem. That the name of Krishna, the two syllables Krishna, have begun to dance in the courtyard of my heart. And as a result of this, my senses, by which I go outward for pleasure, they have been checked They've been arrested. And all of that energy and means to look without has all been drawn within to look at the beauty of this dancing of Krishna Nam in my heart. And it's created a huge problem for me. This is Prem. Prem. Our senses, with, what, with the tongue we can vibrate or taste, with the ears we can hear, with the eyes we can see. But in Prem it's not like that. <laughs> In Prem, all the senses reach out. They're all smelling Krishna with the eyes and touching him with the ears and tasting him with the, uh, with the nose. And this, is how, this is how it works. That's why sometimes the literature is a little confusing because that's a confusing condition from our experience. Rupa Goswami says, this is the problem now. This is actually in his drama. Vidagdamadava Purnamasi has said this nice verse about Krishna Nam. That all my senses have become an earth, all my attention has been drawn within, and now I need uh, hundreds and thousands of mouths, hundreds and thousands of ears. I have one mouth only, one tongue, two ears, and I, uh, I'm bursting at the seams. I cannot do justice to the nectar that these two syllables, Krishna, contain. As I said before, this is a nice verse. This is the problem of the Guru. That's why the Guru has disciples. Because he realizes, oh, this Krishna Nam, I'm going mad. What to do? I need people to help me chant this. Take advantage of this. Help, he says. Help! Can you can't chant this, please? Chant these two syllables. You too. Chant, chant, all of you. This is mad. Not that he has some need. Karunayava, Puranaguyam, Karunayava. This is a guru. Out of compassion, out of necessity, a different kind of necessity. Not in personal need, but... Uh, materially speaking, but as a whole madness of spiritual need, I need help to take advantage of this. Please, come, chant. This is the idea. So, most intelligent people, they are chanting, Prabhupada said. Sridhar Marsh was asked the same question. Why the most intelligent people are not taking this up? He said, Muyanti from Bhagavatam. He said it the opposite way. Oh, after all, it takes more than intelligence. Gods are intelligent, but... It's beyond intelligence. And then explaining this verse, he said, Oh, this Sumedasa, it means Sukhdivan, who has possesses bond enough bhakti unmukhi sukriti. That kind of intelligence, we say qualitatively, that is the best intelligence. That is intelligence that is derived from being in touch with the divine descent in some way, knowingly or unknowingly, the sukriti accumulates. And then we get a way of thinking and a kind of a logic that makes us predisposed towards the Gaudiya Vaishnav logic. When we hear it, it goes, wow, that makes perfect sense. Somebody else can't quite get it, and they've got their degree in nuclear science. And, 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 and so intelligence, is like everything else, is of different quality. You can have Rajasic intelligence. You can have Thomasic intelligence. You can have Sattvic intelligence. And you can have Transcendental intelligence. So that's kind of intelligence it's talking about. Intelligence that's, that's been informed, that's been influenced by transcendence. They've come in touch knowingly or unknowingly with Bhakti, who's independent and goes wherever she likes. Nothing can stop her. If she wants to go into your heart and influence you, there's nothing you can do about it. She chooses as she likes. She generally chooses to manifest herself in the heart of one, and through that one who is a, an advanced devotee, distributes herself. So Sumedasa, who have good have contact with devotees over lifetimes, they pick up where they left off. When they're born, uh, oh, then so much the, the previous karma comes, and then it 
wears off to a certain extent and then their nature as a devotee comes out and they begin to take up the practice. Sometimes they complicate it. They go backwards, step one step backwards, and <laughs> that happens. But that's all really in the, in the long, in the broad vision, in the course of making progress. Sometimes, as Sridhar Marsh liked to say, if you want to go to the highest peak, Mount Everest, and reach there, then you have to walk through the foothills. So your progress will be going up one foothill and down and up and down. So looking very closely at it, we look like, oh, he's going down. But one who can stand back will see, oh, he's going down that foothill, but to go up the next foothill. And each down is higher than the previous foothill. So the progress goes like this. It goes up, but up and down up. Something like that. So <laughs> learn from the downside also. It's a time to rest. Okay, so you're not so intensely engaged. Think about it at least. Uh, regroup and climb the next foothill. You'll get to the top, without a doubt. Hmm? Hmm? You get momentum. You get momentum, yes. <laughs> you get momentum. So don't, don't be discouraged <laughs> if there are some ups and downs. That's the nature of love. Okay, it's full of ups and downs. It's a roller coaster that you just can't get off. <laughs> you want to get off? No, I don't. I, no, keep going. <laughs> it has its uh, it has its austerities. It has its troubles. It has its crazy people. Bhakti brings in all kinds of crazy people. She's very generous. What to do? We have to regard them from a distance. Bhakti touched them. Okay. Regard them from a distance, but I can't get too close. So be intelligent. Hmm? Be intelligent. Make progress. Worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Never let go of the holy name. No matter how hypocritical you may feel while chanting, don't let go. Krishna says in 11th Canada of Bhagavatam, keep chanting, he more or less says. If you have material desires and they get in the way, but you have the decency to, to lament, oh, I, I, I went below the standard of life that I, that I set for myself, my ideal. I find myself, I've gone below that. So you feel some, some remorse. It's, it's, it. Krishna says in Bhagavatam, that will, that will correct you. If you have no remorse and you become callous, then that's a problem. And you need some body to really wake you up. But uh, that will, that's inevitable. That will happen. Don't be intimidated by the rules and the and the regulation is not a rule really governed thing here. This is the no rules school of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. What did he say in, in, in his Shikshastakam? Nam nama kari bahuda nidis arva shaktis tatrarpita niyamita smaranena kala. He said, no rules here, no regulations. Do sankirtan and you'll, you'll improve. What will happen was you will gradually want to know how to do the things that will foster purity and chanting, and you will adopt them. And that those who adopt them, to those who haven't advanced that far, that may look to them like, oh, it's a rule-oriented life. Mm -hmm. You've got to follow all these rules and stuff. But what those rules are is the embrace of things that are favorable by one who's actually making progress. Therefore, in our preaching, we should advocate as Mahaprabhu did. Chant. That's all. He said it. No rules. Chant. But if we only emphasize the rules, you've got to do it like this, and you've got to follow like this, and this resolution, and that resolution. And, and uh, I, I went to a, a, some, we were, we were building a new, some of the devotees were building a new website for, for us. Well overdue. And, uh, and so one of the devotees showed me a website of another Gaudiya group, and, and <laughs> So I was lo looking through it, and, uh, and part of the website was a forum where devotees could interact. And then when you went there, it said, Rules of the Forum. So I clicked on the Rules of the Forum, and it was Rule 1, Rule 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, 1E, 1F, 1G, 1H, Rule 2, Rule A, 2A, 2B. <laughs> when I found like six rules, and A, B, C, D, uh, so many after them, all these rules, and it was really quite... Uh, intimidating and at the end it said so we're confident if you follow all the rules you'll be happy on our site <laughs> I, laughed. I thought it was like it, it really spoke to me about a particular 
<laughs> orientation, the code of Vaishnavism that some people have. Have It's really a little freer than that. Prabhupada said, what are the rules? What did he say, Lalita, that our group should be run by? Two rules, he said. That's a good good guess. Good love guess. And love and trust, he said. You see, love and trust. That means uh, be generous, as Sridhar said. You should be generous with one another. After all, your abhutar, your god, your deity, is Mahabodhanai abhutar. So at least you should be a little generous with one another. He's generous to anybody and everyone. And to those he could not be generous to because of the social standards with regard to his being a sannyasi, what did he do? Hmm? Through Nityananda Bru, he expanded his mercy. It is said, Gaur gave pain to anyone who asked for it. And Nityananda Prabhu gave it to the people who not only didn't ask for it, but said they didn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> he went after them. So, uh, hard to escape these two. They're very, very, very generous in their outreach. So that should, as Mahaprabhu says, therefore we should be a little embarrassed if we understand it, the generosity of Mahaprabhu and the generosity of Krishnanam. We should be a little We should be a little embarrassed. I'm not even really that interested in the whole thing, even though it's so extraordinary. It's so generous. Not only is it extraordinary, but extraordinarily generous and kind and affectionate. I mean, this is... If you don't think that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, then you don't understand Krishna. He is Mr. Affection. Affection personified. This is Krishna. He, of all the gods and, and goddesses, he personifies affection, love, because he doesn't show it everywhere. That's Vrindavan Leela is a private affair. But as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then, we find such generosity, such affection, such kindness. Always there. If we chant, which is the method for worshipping him, then he's always there in our life. We can't think like that. We can say, Sometimes people say, oh, it's Krishna's mercy. Krishna didn't want me to do that, I guess. I guess Krishna didn't want me to. Archana City told me once, I went to the gas station and I filled my whole tank up with diesel gas. <laughs> and then I thought, hmm, why did Krishna make me do that? <laughs> he must have had something in mind. So I'm not sure if it was Krishna, but <laughs> but it's nice to, you know, it's okay to think like that uh, somewhat. But to bring it... Uh, there are maybe other factors. I mean, Krishna is in control of everything, that's true, but he's also dancing with Radha and kind of forgot that he's even God, so uh, what to do? Maybe it's the Paramatma made you do it. Maybe not, but anyway, if you want to think that God is that much in my life, and he will be to the extent that you think that he is, you're thinking about it, then you think, oh, it must have been Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. <laughs> he's the Paramatma, you Gavutar, and he's Radha Gobinda. He's there for us. He told Srivas, was it Srivas? Srivas Thakur? Or Srivananda, one of the two? In Srivas Angam during the Kirtan, when he revealed himself, he said, uh, he was showing himself who I am, who you are to so many devotees. Then he said what? He said, do you remember? When you were being chased, you and your family, by the Mohammedans, and you came to the river, and there was no boatman? And they were right behind you, and they were going to capture and defile your, your wife. And then a boatman suddenly appeared out of nowhere and took the other side. Do you remember? I was that boatman, he said. I came for you. Yoga Jamam Bahamia Hum. Even in ordinary dealings, why not? As much as you remember him, as much as you want him to be in your life, he will be in your life. It's all a question of desire. Want to act in such a way that he will want to be in your life. That is the idea. And then you can say, I really do want him in my life. And then you, your prayers can go from submission, cultivating submission, to, to longing. To longing to do kirtan with Gaur, with Nibai Pandit. To take prasad from his own hand, as we talked yesterday, serving the devotees more than they could eat with his big hand, 
to move with him in the day in, in Kirtan along the bank of the Ganges, visiting different devotees' homes, and see the, all the thousands of cows crossing the Jamun, and uh, Mahabhu goes into the Golila and go with him, follow him there. He's going for his eightfold Leela, he's moving between his own Leela and the Krishna Leela. The devotees are going with him and coming back, and we can long for that. But first we should long to conduct ourselves in such a way that he, he will want to be involved in every aspect of our life. And then when he is, we'll feel embarrassed. Oh, you did that for me. Oh, no, Rupa Goswami saw, or Sanatana Goswami saw, that for Raghunathas, Krishna, was it Krishna himself or Radhika had come and, and build a, put an umbrella over him to shade him from from the sun. Uh, he said, you, you, you've taken service from him. Build their own hut. This is why they build houses. Do you understand? <laughs> <laughs> Not why we build houses. To get out of the cold, have a comfortable place to live. They built a house so that Krishna would not be inconvenienced. Out of his affectionate nature, coming, stealing in and serving the devotee. We want God to serve us. This is the last thing on their mind. They build a house so that Krishna wouldn't intervene. You've got to build yourself a hut. Otherwise you're taking service from Krishna. Get yourself an umbrella. Don't stay out in that place where the tigers come. There's another incident with it. Krishna chased away the tiger or something like that. These are real stories from the Braj. In the lives of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's devotees took shelter of what this, this process. They're very intelligent. Huh? Is it not intelligent to find a way to protect yourself, to live, to maintain yourself, to live happily, comfortably, with as little effort as possible? This is what they did. They simply sat and chanted. They'd come to that platform, not right away, gradually by following the method Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has given. They did Namsan Kirtan, Raghunathas did Namsan Kirtan in Puri for so long. And before that in Nadia, before he had the courage to run away from home, he went from Bengal to Puri. How did he go? With what enthusiasm did he go? To give you an example, it would be like if you were in San Francisco and you really wanted to come here to Audarya, but if you came in any other way, there would be a, ch a, a chance that you might be obstructed, like the Golden Gate Bridge might be blown up by a terrorist. So I won't take that course. You, and you thought about it in your mind, all possible ways in which you might be obstructed, and then chose the path where it would be least possible. And therefore you went, you swam across, and then you walked across to all these hills, and away from cars, and of course that might be dangerous too. But anyway, at the time, this is what Raghunathas did. He thought, oh, I might be apprehended along the road, the main road. My parents are wealthy, they'll send the police, they'll send the, the government, they'll come themselves. And they did, they sent ten men to catch him. And he went by foot, slept in the barn, or under a tree, ate what a, or didn't eat. That kind of enthusiasm he had to reach Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Puri. And there in Puri then, performing Sankirtan with Mahaprabhu, and eventually he ended up at Radhakund, having these kinds of experiences. Not immediately, but at any rate, we should want to bring Krishna into our life. As much as we want to, he'll come there. And this is the, this is the intelligent way that has been given in Srimad Bhagavatam. Nam Sankirtan. This is Sumedhisa, very bright, who does kirtan. And you can do kirtan. It's not just going out to the airport. That's interesting too. But <laughs> had a lot, of, a lot of fun doing that. But and a lot of realization also. And became very dear to one another by that. Serving our guru. But you can do anywhere. In your home. Devotees tell me, I have a hard time chanting japa. I can't concentrate. I tell them, put down your bag. Pick up the cartos. And chant like a madman. <laughs> like your neighbors or your kids will think you're crazy. <laughs> Or your wife, if she's not a devotee, sometimes that situation is there. Do it. Chant. Kirtanas pravave smarana swabhave. If you want to do smarana, if you want to remember, you want to have a fixed mind, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati said, that will come naturally by kirtan. Do kirtan. This is the method of worshipping in Kali Yuga. Now we have the other methods of worship also because we have established the deity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu so we worship him according to the Tantra and so forth and all these advices given by the Goswamis but all of that is accompanied by Kirtan all of our archan by Kirtan Kirtan prevails if there's an offense in the archan 
it'll be overcome by kirtan. If the precedent for for kirtan or the the the, the necessity for kirtan and, and again kirtan in an extended sense, we are the followers of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, Bhaktivinanta Sami Prabhupada in the Bhaktivinoda Paribar. So they're giving a dynamic idea to this kirtan also, in the form of the preaching, the Brihat Pradanga and, and and so on. So. In the context of that, there may be important things to do that take precedence over the deity worship. Some will say, well, what does this? They put the deity to rest at this time instead of they're going to do that. And you know, This is Yuga Dharma. Mahaprabhu is getting pleasure from this. Everything should revolve around that. Kirtan. This is what this verse is saying. So, Krishna Varnam Tisa Krishnam. What is the time? Twelve? Twelve o'clock. Oh, we have so much more to say. Sango, the time is running out. Sango pangastra parshadam yagnai sankitana prayayajantihi sumedasaha. So this is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. As I said, this is the business of the devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to reveal to the people at large once he is now descended to explain these verses in this way. Hmm? He is Krishna, but he is not Krishna. He is black, but not black. It means Krishna means black also. He is Krishna in the mood of the devotee of Krishna. And accompanied by his associates and charming people, what are his weapons? His charm, his beauty, his dancing. He had conquered even Jagannath, Krishna himself. So I wanted to also explain the verses that follow this, but maybe we'll have to wait till this evening for those who are still here. We can have some discussion of following verses which describe Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as well as Radha and Krishna and by doing so they they help us to understand that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Radha and Krishna combined very interesting topic but to be continued Sri Man Gauranga Mahaprabhu ki jai Inamsan Kirtan ki jai Gaur Bhaktivinda ki jai are there any questions? yes is that, has an offering been made Gurnishta? It's almost been being made. Okay, we have time for some questions. Yes. I thought if you could elaborate a little bit on um, the idea that tantric scripture versus, not versus, but tantra being female. So what is the male? Male. What does tantra actually mean? I, I'm not clear on tantra that. Tantra means technique, really. Like mantra means freeing the mind. So tantra means tantra means technique. It basically, so the, the, those literatures are full of all kinds of techniques. Therefore, all, you, all the mantras for worshiping the deity and all the ways of worshiping, the, the how to conduct oneself in the realm of ritual, yeah. is all found in there. But also in the, the tantric side of the literature, there's this emphasis on the shakti, which is the technique. Hmm. <laughs> That's how things get done. And hmm. understand by by shakti. So naturally, there's an emphasis on the shakti, whereas in the Vedic literature, the emphasis is on Bhagwan. They're patriarchal, and the tantra is more matriarchal. Uh, Lakshmi's there in in the Veda and so forth, but servant of Bhagwan. And some people you don't even some sampradayas may even conceive of her as a jeev Also, it's only Bhagwan. And so, like the Bhagavatam, what does that fall under? That's well, the Bhagavatam, the Bhagavatam is a purana, uh, in its in its. And it appears as in a, it's, a, it's in a Puranic setting, which leans to the other side. But they call it Srimad Bhagavatam. Mm. So it's it's Bhagavat, Bhagavat means the book about about God. It's it's like the life story of God. It's the Bhagavat Purana. There's a, this Purana. There's a, that Purana. There's the Kurma Purana. There's the Shiva Purana. There's the, the Shringa Purana. But this is the God Purana, which means there's another way of understanding. Which means that all these other Puranas are about incarnations of God. This is the God Purana, God himself Purana. But they call it the Goswami Srimad Bhagavatam also. It might be mentioned in some Puranas like that, but Sri, anyway, Srimad means, means the beautiful Bhagavat, the beautiful God, the book about the beautiful God. So, you know, Shringa's beautiful, <laughs> but fearful also. Kurma's a beautiful tortoise, but... Um, <laughs> This is a, the beautiful God. <laughs> that means Krishna. Hmm? And what is the beauty of Krishna? What is that de derived from? It is explained in the Bhagavad itself. 
that, it, like Prabhupada would say, you, you know, the Prabhupadism, some of these things are very simple, but they have a very profound and deep theological basis that he just kind of put out in real, like, simple language for real simple people mm-hmm. like us. When he would say something like, oh, Krishna's not particularly beautiful by himself, but when he's standing next to Radha, then he's very beautiful. There's a whole theology, our whole theology behind this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bhagavatam makes that point. That Krishna shined more radiantly in Rasalila, in the presence of all of his shaktis, the gopis, more beautifully, although he's unlimitedly beautiful. So that it's like, you know, the, a, a guy feels wholesome when he's got his, his gals. I guess gals feel wholesome when they have their guy, too, but <laughs> it's the shakti. This is, uh, it makes, it's the energy. It's by, by which the shakti man expresses itself and does things. So the Tantra is about largely about the Shakti. The emphasis is there. So the Bhagavatam is like it's a Purana, but it's 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 unique. It's like different from all the other Puranas. So what's the other mm-hmm. side of the literature is called then? If it's not Tantric and it's on the male side, then what's maybe you'd call it Vedic or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. More dealing with philosophy. More abstract. More abstract philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. The Veda, the Upanishads are very uh, abstract and very, very male. Mm-hmm. And the Tantra is very female. The Bhagavatam is really kind of bringing them together. It's br- kind of bridging the gap. And this is what the Goswamis are so the tantra's like bringing out. Mm-hmm. Putting the abstract into action. Yeah. What else? Comment? Question? Very blissful. Okay. So sing Namsan Kirtan, Hari Harai, Namakrishna. And then we will be followed by Artik and some Prashad. <laughs>